From the hidden secrets of our backyards to the realities of the third world, we take a raw and real look into the challenges and the pursuits of social justice. Welcome to The Point. The Point Podcast is brought to you by ThePoint.life, offering healthcare, entrepreneurship, and education both domestically and internationally. Visit ThePoint.life to find out how you can get involved. From homeless to head of her own nonprofit, One Heart for Women and Children, Stephanie Bowman is a force to be reckoned with. She candidly shares her personal story of overcoming addiction and trauma and how it has fueled her to help thousands of families experiencing similar hardships. I truly believe that when we can hear these intimate stories of real people experiencing real problems, it helps us to build empathy and to remember that each person we encounter is experiencing things in their lives that we might not be aware of. Stephanie unpacks these heavy topics through her charming and genuine personality. She's the kind of person you'd want to spend all day having coffee with and sharing stories and laughter. Join us in meeting your new friend and inspiration, Stephanie Bowman. I love, love, love. One of my favorite things to do is share my story. Every one of us has a story. And knowing that every single one of us has a story, how cool it is after we've done some of the hard work on self mm-hmm. and move forward in that journey so that we really can be the best version of ourselves. Like that is so, it's so empowering. If other people wouldn't have done that for me, mm. I wouldn't be where I am. Mm-hmm. If other people weren't vulnerable with me, oh, I hear a baby. <laughs> if other people weren't real and raw and vulnerable with such integrity, I wouldn't be able to share my story the way that I do. Mm. And letting people know that everybody has a story too, you know, because some people think, oh, so because I didn't fill in the blank, whatever it is, you know, I can't do what you do, or I Mm. won't be loved as much as you are, or I won't whatever it is. And we, I had somebody the other day, and then I'll let you ask, start asking your questions. No, no, Sorry. this is great. Keep going. I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> I had somebody the other day, I was, we were doing a, a team building event and it was with corporate America. So they're all either CEOs, general managers, different, different places. And somebody said, one of the guys walked over and he said, I've been doing this for, um, I started my company 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. He said, and I never would have hired if I knew somebody's story, like yours. I don't know if I just heard the story, if I really would hire you. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? He said, I just didn't think that people could really change. Hmm. So we sat down just literally in a 15 minute conversation. Mm -hmm. He said, as he was walking away, he said, my sale has been shifted is what he said. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, my grandfather used to say that. Mm, He said, that's cool. That's it. There's a shift in the sale in the way that I think now. Mm -hmm. If we can just educate people and let people know also, whether they're on the side of needing help or not knowing, you know, where to go next, Mm -hmm. or to be an advocate for somebody that feels like they don't have a voice and that they feel like they don't, don't, they don't matter. And I've been on both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So tell us, what is your story? So I grew up in an amazing home. Dad was in the army and mom was a mental health counselor. She worked with the handicapped and disabled. That's what it was called back then. And uh, she would, had polio when she was eight years old. So she was been in a wheelchair since she was eight and never stopped her from anything other than walking or if it had to do with you know, standing up. 
Like she learned to swim, she learned to ride a horse. So one of the things growing up, mom, if we would say, oh, I can't do it, or oh, you know, like mom would look down at her legs and she'd look back up at us and we knew that meant go figure it out because there's a solution to everything. And that's, we grew up with that mindset. And at 15 years old, there was somebody that was trusted in our home that raped me and I got pregnant and I had an abortion and I veered away from my youth group and didn't want to go back to church and didn't want to be around anybody. Felt dirty, felt like I felt like I was the only one in the world that it ever happened to and I couldn't put a voice to it. So I went next door to our house, which I knew that there were some people that were very different than the way I grew up and I went over there and it was the first day I got high and I still finished school and still went to college and a lot of unhealthy relationships and that's where my life was so dark and I didn't know how to fill that hole in my soul with goodness with God with you know with beauty and I lost that glimmer of hope is really what it was and I know if I would have gone to my parents gone to trusted people, my youth group leader, one of my teachers that I absolutely loved. If I would have gone to them and told them what was happening, there were resources that were out there. And they would have helped me to heal what needed to be healed so that I really didn't have to go down that dark path for 17 years. What I will say, it's part of my journey. And I went down that dark path in and out of addiction until I was 32 years old. And by then I had two children domestic violence. I got married to the father of my children. He was also one of my drug dealers. And I was 32 years old and I I needed to leave. The domestic violence was getting so bad. And I also didn't want to use, I, by then I had dove into addiction. Like I crossed that line of addiction. So it wasn't just a drink or two or, you know, a little bit of pot or, you know, whatever that was at the time. I was smoking crack cocaine and, and trading anything and everything that I could for that next. And I found myself homeless for the next five weeks when I left the domestic violence. And in that five weeks, it was enough for me to know what it was like to feel invisible. Also, it was the first time I prostituted. So my life for that next five weeks dove even darker and deeper. And there was a great team of people that were looking for me. Um, they were looking for me. They already had a plan. And that plan was once they found me to take my children and take them to a, a safe foster home. And I had a choice at that point when they found me, which was January 7th of 1999. They found me down in Paramore and Anderson underneath the 408 overpass with my children. And, uh, and that morning I was saying, I need you because I can't do this anymore. And they drove up, DCF drove up with a team of people and fugitive unit and a friend, that, a judge. And uh, there were six people in the vehicle. And one vehicle took my children. They went to foster care. I had no idea where my kids were going. It was the first time in many, many years that I felt understood. I felt like there was hope. I felt like I wasn't alone, even though I, had, I was scared to death. I was so scared. But I was tired of running. I was tired of living the lifestyle that I was. And I really wanted my children to have a chance. They didn't deserve where we were for that five weeks. So I had a choice to go to jail, which would have meant prison, or to go to detox, which would have been to treatment. And that's what I chose. I went to treatment. It was a six-month treatment center. I was there almost nine months. It took me a little longer. 
And when I graduated, I got full custody of my children back. And by then I had dove into a 12-step program. I had a mentor. I had a life coach. I had my family support. And what I know to be true today is that the more we can put a voice to it, the more we can share our experience, strengths, and hope, even if it's just sharing our experiences and not knowing what that hope is going to be, putting a voice to it takes so much power out of self. So once we say it or journal it, we're not stuck with all of it ourselves. So what I did then is uh, went to treatment, graduated. I went back and lived with my parents. My parents said, please come back, live with us, with your children. We shared a bedroom for four years. It was only going to be one year. And each year my father would say, Stephanie, it's working so well. Can you just stay one more year? And it was really beautiful because my parents were my enablers when I was out there using, but now they became my true advocates and I couldn't pull anything over them. And by the time I graduated treatment and moved in with them, like I ceased fighting. There was no more lies. There was no more deceiving. There was no more of any of the darkness. It was all, how can I use my experience, strength and hope and go out and help another human being, which is the way my parents taught me to be. So it was this full circle because I had a solid foundation prior to going into addiction, I had something to come back to and to build from. And what I find today is I'm 23 years clean and sober now. So yay, I know, 23 years clean and sober now. So what I know to be true today is that when we can get honest, And when we can share our stories, when we can share the darkness, when we can share, you know, whatever the troubles are, whatever the successes or the wins are, each time we do that with another human being, it gives another person an opportunity to get to know us a little bit more or for them to feel that glimmer of hope or so that they don't feel alone. And I believe that we are all on this earth not to be alone And that we all have these different experiences so that ultimately we can share that experience, strength, and hope with other people so they too can recover, can heal, can feel love and light and hope and be restored. That's powerful. And I think you're right. Like there's kind of a piece of each of us that's so afraid to share our struggles because, like, in some sense, we almost don't want to deal with them. But at the same time, we're carrying that weight on us. And once we like speak it out loud, in a sense, it doesn't have the power over us that we think it has. It's a new freedom. And that's what I love. It's when I came into the 12 step program, somebody had said, bring your dreams, bring your dreams to the 12 step group. And uh, for me, it was, I went to a couple different 12 step groups before I really figured, you know, kind of found my home, my home base is what I call it. And I said, bring your dreams, because what I'll tell you is, is that every single dream, if you live the program and don't go back out and use and learn each and every day what you need to learn and really live by the 12 steps, you will never, ever have to go out and use again. And every wildest dream that you have will be Mm. surpassed. Mm. Every single one. And it has. When I was eight years clean and sober, I had somebody that one of my mentors that said, Stephanie, you have volunteered over 10,000 
hours. And I said, how do you, how do you know that? And she said, I've been calculating them. She said, I've been documenting them for now for seven years. And she said, I know that you have volunteered more than that. What I will say is that is what I've documented. And it's time for you to go out and start your own nonprofit. And by wow. then I had volunteered in so many, I think there were like 50, 52 different places that I had volunteered and was on a board of directors of a women's uh, treatment center. And which was really, really big for me because it wasn't the treatment center that I lived in, but it was another one that I started volunteering in and teaching parenting classes in. So mm-hmm. I went from being a mother without my children due to my addiction to a mother having her children back in full custody of her children back to now teaching other people and facilitating on how to teach them to how to do things differently so mm-hmm. that they either didn't have to go down as deep or they too could start filling that hole in their soul with mm-hmm. a lot of love and goodness to learn how to be the best me, the best you, the best person that they could be. Mm. Ultimately, you know, when we think about life, right? When we're born, like there's purity, right? There is purity. There is no judgments. There's no preconceptions of anything. There's not like, like there's nothing. So mm-hmm. wherever your surrounding is, where the environment that you're growing up in mm-hmm. has so much to do with the beginning of that solid foundation, right? Mm-hmm. What we know is that once we start interacting with different people, once we start going to school, once, whether it's family, you know, even if we come from a home that there's no addiction, there's no, my parents didn't cuss, they didn't drink, they didn't, you know, they didn't do any of that. But yet at 15 years old, that's what I started doing. And my parents had nothing to do with it. My parents did absolutely everything, everything right. So that question often is asked, you know, like what happened in your home? Well, it wasn't anything that had to do with my family, the nuclear unit. It had something to do with somebody that had man's free will. And that's what happens. Once those experiences start, it starts to form how we feel, how we think, how we judge, how we, you know, perceive people. And very quickly with one experience, it can shift our life, Mm -hmm. shift our life. And for me, that one experience shifted my life. And we're one decision away from the next, whatever the next is. That one decision could be, you know, again, the guy that raped me, he was somebody that we trusted. He was somebody that I'd been alone with him for years Mm-hmm. and had no idea. Mm-hmm. And that one decision had nothing to do with me, yep. had everything to do with his decision. And mm-hmm. his decision is what altered my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It teaches us such empathy too, right? When you explain it that way, because we can maybe walk, maybe we would have walked past you under that bridge with your kids and totally judged and not stopped and not cared enough to do anything. So what do you say to listeners? <laughs> Surrounding that, how do we have that empathy? I love that question because if I see somebody on the side of the road, I first think very quickly, oh, I remember when I was there, right? Whether it really was for food or whether it said, you know, I'm hungry and I have my two kids and somebody gave me money and it went to drugs, right? It's not mine to judge. And I don't, I don't give money anymore. So I carry resources with me and toiletry bags with me and snack bags with me. And although what I will say is 
find what that is. If you want to help somebody that is on the side of the road or somebody that, you know, you're at a gas station and somebody comes up and says, you know, I need money for whatever that might be carry a card of a nonprofit organization. And that's part of being the solution. And I don't think the solution really is giving money. Although again, I'm not here to judge anybody that does. If somebody needs some, well, let me backtrack on that. I believe no matter where we are, whether we're on the side of the road, whether we're in a shelter, whether we are in a conference with other women, that we are all human beings and we all want to be seen, we want to be loved, and we want to be understood. And one of the things that we do here at One Heart for Women and Children is that we hear people, we see people, we offer that gift of hope. And how do we do it? We do it because we share those resources. We listen. Again, everybody wants to be heard. So what I want to say to anybody that's listening and you come upon somebody or you know somebody that might be homeless or can't uh, provide for their family, do some research, find a local nonprofit organization that maybe has some of those resources, do some of that homework so that you can be part of the solution. And I believe that everybody has a piece of the puzzle and that piece of the puzzle really is what we call life and helping other people. So the empathy part of it, you know, not everybody knows somebody that's been homeless. Not everybody knows somebody that's been a crack addict. Although every single one of us can identify with somebody feeling hopeless, uh, feeling helpless, not feeling understood, not feeling like they mattered, feeling desperate, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless. And I want to say that each and every one of us can also, we can all be advocates for other people. And sometimes the job really is what somebody's part is just to listen or just to smile at somebody or to wave or to say, have a great day. Those words mean so much to somebody that's homeless or somebody that feels like nobody sees them. There were many years in the beginning of my recovery where I could be in a room full of people and I felt invisible. I felt alone where what I know today is that I can be alone and still feel so loved. I can be in a room full of people and I don't feel invisible anymore. And part of that is, is because I got curious and started doing the work to heal the pain so that I could be the best advocate for myself. So I had a voice for myself. Therefore I could have a voice um, and be an advocate for other people. Yeah, that's so good. So walk us through a bit. So you started your nonprofit in which year? And a lot of our listeners are um, nonprofit founders or people who have worked for nonprofits. And we empathize with the nonprofit world and that what you think you're starting out to do and what you end up doing aren't always the same thing. So tell us a bit about your experience with that. I love that question because when I, when my mentor said it was time for me to start something, I was like, what? She said, what do you want to do? How do you want to make an impact? What do you want your legacy to be? And when she said that, I was like, wow, I know what I don't want my legacy to be. So I knew from volunteering in different places, I knew what some of the pieces that I didn't want, but I equally knew we just wanted to be able to connect people to the resources that were in the community. I didn't know what I was going to look like. I didn't think we were going to be a food pantry. We became a food pantry very quickly. I didn't know that we were going to have a thrift store. 
that wasn't part of my vision. But very quickly, we found that people wanted to donate things that our families didn't need. And we started asking, do you mind if we sell them? That's what we started doing. We earn about $10,000 a month in our thrift store. And we're only open six hours a week, one Saturday a week. I mean, one one day a week. So four days out of the month. And we raise about $10,000. And it's because people want to help. And with those dollars, what happens is we can provide for $1, we can provide enough food for one person for 12 meals. Super crazy. And that's because we buy some of our food at a shared cost and we get all of our, our meat, our dairy, our produce all for free. So our dollars go to buy the non-perishables. So every family that comes, each person that comes through gets enough food, again, for really 12 to 16 meals. We know it stretches farther, but we'll say 12 meals. Again, we just wanted to connect people that needed things to people, corporations, teams, groups that had things that they wanted to give. And what happened is our trailer was stolen uh, 10 years ago. So we were almost five years into One Heart for Women and Children. So we're 15. In May, we're celebrating 15 years. Yes. In May, we're celebrating 15 years. Our first Christmas, we helped 26 children with Christmas presents. I will tell you, that was 15 years ago. This past Christmas, we helped 1,710 children with over five presents each. So, yeah, I want to say what I know to be true is that we start with one thought or one vision or one goal. And what we find is that as people, other people start coming in because it's, it's inviting Once I started my nonprofit organization, there were people that said, I want to be a part of, and I want to do this. So we started teaching parenting classes and life skills classes and became a food pantry and helped with Christmas presents and computers for kids. Computers were just now, you know, 15 years ago, computers weren't what they are right now, but there were a lot of people that still needed some of that. And we helped with school supplies. When our trailer was stolen, Scott Maxwell with Orlando Sentinel came over and all the news channels came over. And I just started going through chemo my third time during that week. And I've been through chemo seven times, seven times. So my third time, it was, our trailer was stolen. We had news channels that were all over with this big hole in the fence in somebody else's warehouse that we were using. I don't think anybody knew that there were presents in it. It was the first theft of December. And what Scott Maxwell said, it's how the Grinch stole Christmas. And that next day, in 24 hours, we had a new trailer. We had a new truck. Our truck wasn't stolen. Somebody donated a new truck. We had presents for over 1,700 children. We had 22,000 diapers. We had over $20,000 in gift cards all of our teenagers that we help get gift cards for presents also. And we had a location, which is where we are right now in College Park. It was donated for the first year. And it was super crazy because people wanted to help. And this is what I know to be true today as well. When people know there's a need, they want to know, how can I make an immediate impact right now? Where are my dollars going to go? And what is the impact? And that's what we still do today. If somebody donates $100, we tell them where that impact went. We thank them. Our social media, our favorite friend right now is social media. If we need two bicycles, a pair of work boots, and a tent, we put that on social media. We only ask for what we need. We don't ask for more. 
And that's another piece of the integrity and the character for us. And our community knows that. So again, people want to make the the direct impacts. So going back to your question, we started with just being able to help 26 children at Christmas. And what we found is that there were more people that needed, there were more corporations, more companies that wanted to give. And the more I shared my story, the more people that wanted to come on and be a part of because of the integrity and being able to, again, just share the story. I don't have a degree. I was three credits shy of a two-year college degree. I don't have a degree. What I do have is, is life experience. And I have 23 years of being in recovery and life coaching. I am a life coach now as well. 23 years of experience in being able to help people to build a solid foundation. Yeah, I mean, I think the life experience is something that money cannot buy. So speaking of money, when I started One Heart and we wrote the 501c3, we put $100 in the bank account. We did not have any money. I wouldn't recommend anybody else to start a nonprofit that way. But what I will say, like, that's just part of our journey. Yeah. There were corporations that wanted to start donating, but couldn't donate until I had a 501c3. So we also now teach other people to write their 501c3. And I love that because it's something that you know we can freely help. Somebody freely helped me. So I will freely help somebody else. And we've never had anybody walk away from One Heart. If they've come in for a resource, they've never left One Heart without a resource. And if they don't know how to connect with that resource, one of us will sit down and help them. We will advocate for them. We will, we will show them. We won't do it for them. We want to teach them how to fish. We don't want to do it for them. We want to help them. If somebody's listening, what is the best way to get a hold of you all? What's your social media handles? What's your website, et cetera? Website is www.oneheartorlando.org. All spelled out, O-N-E-H-E-A-R-T, orlando.org. Instagram is One Heart Matters. Facebook, One Heart Matters, or One Heart for Women and Children. Both of those will take you right to the same page. You will get more information on my personal page, Stephanie Bowman, than you will on One Hearts. We have somebody that's just come on that's helping us to get more information on One Hearts, but you'll find more information on mine. Or you can go directly to the phone and call 321-299-4594. There is a place on the website if you want to have a conversation with Stephanie where you can plug that in and I will call and we start that conversation on whatever that is. We do a lot of team building events also. Team building, that's another way that we can not only raise awareness for One Heart, but now we can make connections with more corporations and individuals to empower them to go back and advocate for their community as well. Last night, we did a American Express and Hilton we partnered with. It was amazing. 220 people. One hour, we made 2,250 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. One hour. We made 800 uh, snack bags, 800 hygiene bags, and 150 full pantry bags. And today, all of that's going out. So it's another way that we've got corporations that will hire us. And what we will do, they'll tell us the impact they want to make and what, how much financially that impact that they want to make as well. 
and we do all the math and figure all of it out with, you know, we've got that special sauce. We've got the magic formula and we do, now we're doing about one a month. We didn't do many during the pandemic, but we also, when the pandemic started, we had over a hundred thousand dollars in team building events that all had to be canceled. That was in four months in the beginning of the pandemic. So it's now starting again. And it's really, really beautiful because it's another way that people can learn more about the nonprofit world. They can learn more about One Heart. They can bring their team together, whether it's at a workshop or at their place of business. Or last night, it was like the last night of their conference. And they can do something you know that's good for the community and uh, not only feel good about what they're doing, but knowing that they too just made a huge impact in the community that they were in. I also want to say, if anybody is thinking about starting a nonprofit organization or your nonprofit is struggling right now because of the pandemic and you don't know what to do next, reach out. There's a host of other nonprofit organization uh, founders that, uh, we, that have a seat at the table. We meet every couple of months. Sometimes it's on Zoom, sometimes it's in person. And it's just another way that we can kind of bounce some things off of each other and uh So it's not problem-based, it's solution-based. So if somebody comes to the table and there's an issue or a problem or something that, you know, they are looking for support or to hear other people's experience, strength, and hope on, it's a great place that they can bring that, you know, bring their voice to, and we can help, you know, just by sharing experience, strength, and hope. So often people want to give up because they either don't have the volunteerism or they don't know what to do next, or there's been a crisis that's happened and they don't know what to do next. So having that ear, having somebody that they can say anything that they need to, to without maybe filtering what it is, everybody needs a safe place that they can come to and ask some questions without being judged. Yeah. And especially in the nonprofit world, because if you're not healthy, it's difficult to help other people be healthy, right? Amen. And sometimes it's a quick, well, I'll share a story. I had somebody that came to me about a year ago and she wanted to stop her nonprofit organization. And it was during the pandemic and she, they didn't have a lot of volunteers and they really, they needed at least 10 volunteers five days a week to really make all the moving pieces happen. We need 17, 17 to 20 volunteers, four days a week here at One Heart makes every moving piece. Nobody has to double work. So we've never had a lack of volunteers at One Heart ever, ever, ever in the 15 years. We have never had a lack of volunteers. So I love having that conversation with people sharing like how, well, we make it fun for them. We also we work as a team. Nobody works solo. People want to come back because it's a positive experience. When people volunteer, it's not just about the task at hand. It's about the experience. And we want to make sure each person's experience is something that is so, that's an aha for them so that they want to come back. So they want to volunteer again. And we do a lot of training on that as well. On where to find find volunteers, how to keep volunteers, how to keep volunteers engaged. And also if a volunteer really isn't meshing well, for whatever reason, how to have that conversation with that person and to find another, be an advocate for them as well and find another place that might gel well for them. One heart's not for everybody, but it is for a whole lot of people. 
We had somebody else that said not too long ago, he is a CEO of a very large corporation. And he said, Stephanie, how do you keep yourself filled up? It's easy to keep pouring. And I told him, I have a life coach. I do take care of myself and started talking about how some of that is and finding an hour every single day for myself is critical. The days that I don't do it, the people around me feel it. So I know that it's important to keep myself filled up and to keep myself not only filled up each and every day, but knowing also when things need to be delegated out because it's not for Stephanie to do all of it. And I've learned that. My body gets sick every time I forget that. My body gets sick. So self-care is utterly important and it's easy to get the burnout syndrome. And uh, I haven't had that in quite a few years because I also know that uh, it is it's about daily self-care, daily self-care and having other people around that can, you know, that I trust and they trust me. So they can come in and say, hey, Stephanie, are you doing okay today? Or Stephanie, you don't look like you're feeling very well today. Do you want to go home? Like, it's okay to say that. At One Heart for Women and Children, it's okay to say that. I might not go home, but I might go back out to my truck and go do a little self-care or somebody might find me underneath our table laying down for a few minutes um, or some creative place here at One Heart. But I love that there's having a support group, having the surrounding of people that, that are like-minded is just so, so, so important. One of the other things that he said, you know you can't help the whole world. And I said, my job isn't to help the whole world. My job is to help each person that makes it to one heart, just one person at a time. And I believe that we're in the people building business. I really do. If you really want to say that, we know we're a business. We're a nonprofit organization and we're not here as a business as in money per se, but we are a nonprofit organization really as a business as well. And it took me many years to, for my heart and my head for that to connect. And we are in the people building business because we are changing lives one person at a time as they come to one heart. We start with food. Food is our way in. That is our connect with people. And once somebody comes back a second time to one heart for women and children, what we know is that there's a greater need. And once we find out what some of those greater needs are, for some people, it might just be a resume. For somebody else, it might be a bicycle and work boots so they can get back to work. For somebody else, it might be helping with an electric bill so they have power on again. All they were missing was $100 because maybe they uh, lost a couple days of work or somebody was sick in the family and they couldn't work. You know, whatever that was, every single one of us has something going on in our life at different times. So having a place like One Heart for Women and Children or another nonprofit organization that sees you, believes in you, advocates for you, and helps to find those solutions. Yeah, Stephanie, I love that you say that food is a touch point. It's like food is a way for you to build a connection or a relationship with the person. And then after that relationship is built, you can actually figure out what's deeper, what's really going on in their life. Absolutely. Because what we know is that when, well, think about this. If I'm hungry and I go to school, I can't learn the way maybe the person that's next to me that slept really well the night before and had a good nutritious breakfast. So one of the things at One Heart is we take great pride 
in being a fresh food option food pantry. We have over 50% of the food that is given to each individual is fresh food, which I love. Prior to the pandemic, we were helping about 3,000 people each month. Pandemic happened when suddenly it was 27,000. We averaged still at 20,000 people each month that we're providing food for. So prior to the pandemic, we really were helping the homeless and underserved. And now we're helping them as well. But we're also helping almost 50% of the families that we're helping or individuals that we're helping are still in their homes or multiple families in a home. So now we're helping to prevent the homelessness as well, which really is needed. Because again, if we can go in and we can educate somebody and do a budget with them and teach them how to do a budget. And as they do that budget, they can see, oh, I've got a I've got a boat that I haven't used in a year. I can sell my boat and pay my mortgage for three months, right? That's some of what we're doing is getting creative, asking some of the questions, getting curious, asking some of the questions that maybe somebody's never asked them. We had a client that came to us a couple months ago and she said, I've never, for five years, I have not been able to support my family. I have to ask for assistance every single month. So we started talking about, you know, what comes in, you know, what money comes in, what money goes out. And she said, why do a budget? Like I, I more goes out than it that comes in. I said, this is the time. So let's sit down and do it. I did mine. She did hers. I shared mine with her. I didn't mind sharing mine with her. And once she did hers and she saw it, she said, oh, wait a minute. That $80 that I pay for my hair and my nails each month can be paying my phone or my electric. So what she did three months later, she called and she said, Stephanie, she said, you'd be so proud of me. She said, I barter somebody else. A friend of mine does my hair. Somebody else does my nails. And I babysit for two hours each week, two hours for each of them. So they can have a date night with their husbands. So we get real creative with that bartering. We love the bartering system. Because one of the other things that we have here is volunteer to vouchers. So for every hour that somebody volunteers and they need things out of our thrift store, they can volunteer at the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, whatever that looks like for them. They can come in, they can shop with those. And for most of the people that are doing that are people that are not in their homes right now. So we've got a women's treatment center where I graduated from, steps out in Apopka, that's where I graduated from back in 1999. And the women come out and they volunteer with us. And as they volunteer with us, they're earning $10 an hour in vouchers. So when they graduate, they can come in, pick out everything that they need or want. And then in return, what we also do is we put it in our box truck and then we take it over and we can help them set everything up. And literally that day when they go to bed at night, their home is a home. That's so cool. It's so well thought out. And I'm sure, as we mentioned before, it's kind of evolved over the years as you've seen a need and then been able to make those connections. So we talked about a lot of incredible things today. And thank you for sharing your story. I know it's very impactful. What would be one thing you would want listeners to take with them today from this conversation? Oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to say with that. If there's one thing, that somebody takes away from this conversation, I want to say, if you feel hopeless or helpless, or you don't know what to do next, find somebody, find somebody that you trust and have a conversation with them. 
being vulnerable, a lot of people think or have been taught that being vulnerable is weakness. And I want to say it's power. It's power. I am powerless over what people do, how they act, what they do to anybody else. I'm powerless over people, places, situations. But the power comes in is when I know what I do next is what I have control over. So I'm not here to to change people. I'm not here to manipulate people. I'm not here to, to manipulate a situation anymore because that was part of the past. And today, knowing that my part is all I can really do. I can be here to, to share the story. I can be here to listen to other people. And I believe that every single one of us has a story and being able to find a place or a platform to share that story so that we can share that experience, strength, and hope with others. I want to say you're not alone. That's really what I want to say is that you're not alone. Often we as human beings feel like we're alone or feel like we don't know where to go to be able to share our story or share what our needs are or what our wants are or our desires are. And I want to say there's a safe person that's out there for each and every person. And if you don't know who your safe person is, start writing it down. Pen and paper, my favorite, that's the, my best friend is, is this right here, pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Get it out of here, get it on the paper, pick up the phone, call somebody, find your happy place too. Finding your happy place. That's hard for a lot of people. Mm. Growing up, I had a happy place and that was on a swing. We had two sets of swing sets that were outside of our housing development where we lived. And every day growing up, I would find a swing. And when I got clean and sober, when I got into the treatment center, we had a swing. And I would go out there and I would swing in the morning. I would brush my teeth. I would change into my clothes. And before breakfast, I was out there swinging. And today at 23 years clean and sober... I still find a swing every single day, rain or shine, 40 degrees or 105 degrees, I find a swing. And my happy place is being on a swing, being able to swing. I don't have hair anymore because of the cancers, but I want to tell you that as I'm swinging, I feel like I've got hair that literally is flowing in the wind. That's my happy place. Finding a happy place also can really free up some of what's inside here, finding that happy place. For some people, it's being on the beach. For some people, it's being in the pool. It's different for each and every person. I used to think my happy place would be traveling. Well, you can't quite do that every single day. So I would say find that happy place. For some people, it's in a bathtub. You know, For some people, it's sitting in, in the kitchen. But find that happy place. Find a, a realistic happy place that when you're not feeling happy that you can go to. And it's that reconnecting, knowing, you know, here's my happy place. I'm good in the world. It's all good. I think also finding your passion. So I know that that's kind of a buzzword and a lot of people use that. I want to say that our hearts connect with where our passion is. So one of the things that we say here at One Heart is when we have people's hands, we have their hearts. So once somebody comes in and they start volunteering, their hearts follow those hands as they're helping to either take food out to somebody's car and now connecting their eyes with somebody else that they were able to be able to help with their hands. Now their hearts are now connected as well. And now they want to go out and do more good. 
hey, do you guys need baby stuff? I have a lot of gently used and new baby stuff. Always need baby stuff. Okay, great. And where do I bring it? Do I bring it to College Park or is there a better place? Yep. If anybody is looking to donate Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, we're closed Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday from nine to four, and then Saturday from eight to two. On Sundays, we take a hot meal out to our homeless friends where my children and I were homeless. And once a month, separate from the question you just asked, we have a big team building event that doesn't cost anybody anything that we pass out. We give away in two short hours, 25,000 plus pounds of food. Always looking for corporate partnerships for that. There's a $5,000 expense, but that $5,000 for our partner that sponsors it they know that they just made an impact in the lives of over 1,200 people getting food and 100 volunteers being able to come and give of their time. It takes four hours to do it, but in two hours, we give all that food out. So there's a lot of ways to get involved. We often get questions from people saying, I'm homebound. How can I help? Oh, like there are so many things that can happen between thank you notes, between social media help. There are so many ways that people can help. So you don't physically have to come to one heart. So if somebody wants to donate financially, great. Obviously, we need that. If somebody wants to donate food, if somebody wants to do a team building event, if somebody wants to collect food, collect gift cards, a $25 gift card can help one person with their medication for a whole month. So there's a lot of ways to help. That's so awesome. Thank you, Stephanie. I'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes as well. So people can connect and get plugged in. And I just want to say it was such an inspiration to speak to you today. You're absolutely an incredible woman doing incredible things. And we just pray blessings over you and your organization. And we're so excited to watch it grow. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Get in touch with Stephanie and her team at oneheartorlando.org. That's one spelled out, O-N-E, Orlando.org. We will share this in the show notes as well. You can stay connected to us at lapointe.life, L-A-P-O-I-N-T-E dot L-I-F-E. Until next time, keep on fighting for justice.